We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 415 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, October 6th, 2022. So as I record this late on Wednesday night, let's see what time is it, 12.30 a.m. on Wednesday night slash Thursday morning, uh, we are just hours removed from the leaking of a letter from Team Dan Snyder to Congress's House Committee on oversight and reform. You never know when Commander's Dysfunction News is going to pop up. And sure enough, on Wednesday night, Commander's Dysfunction News popped up. Dan versus Congress is back on. The co-owner and co-CEO of our Commanders has gone on the offensive on Congress. So, of course, The House Committee on Oversight and Reform has been investigating our football team's workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, The letter makes it clear that there is an anticipation that the investigation is coming to an end. And the letter is like an all-out assault on the investigation. The letter is signed by three people, Tom Davis, former Republican member of the House of Representatives. He was a representative of Virginia. Attorney Stuart Nash and Attorney John Brownlee. Uh, The letter is addressed to the chairwoman of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, who, as you may know, is on her way out. Uh, She, on August 23rd, lost to Representative Jerry Nadler in the Democratic primary race for New York's newly drawn 12th Congressional District. Uh, Anyway, for our purposes, the letter actually includes the following on former Redskins team president Bruce Allen. Now, as you probably know by now, Danny and Brucey have had a falling out. Uh, That happened years ago now, and uh, it's become actually a pretty nasty deal. Anyway, uh, I will read to you the Bruce Allen portion of this letter. This is wild, man. Quote, it is widely acknowledged that the single most significant step the team took to remedy its toxic workplace was to rid itself of Mr. Allen. The fraternity house culture that Mr. Allen instilled in the commander's organization is the principal reason 
that the commanders came under investigation in the first place. If the committee had desired, it could have interviewed any of the current employees of the commanders whose tenure extended back to the Allen years. Those employees would almost universally have identified Mr. Allen's departure as the date that the team culture began to turn around. Prior to Mr. Allen's deposition, my law firm provided the committee with a small sample of his workplace communications. That the committee would nevertheless choose to sponsor such a witness in full awareness of the racist, misogynistic, and homophobic beliefs he tolerated and espoused in his email conversations with his friends is truly astounding. I was informed that when confronted with these emails at his deposition, Mr. Allen's lawyer questioned their authenticity, despite the fact that these emails had been relied upon by the NFL in its investigation of the team, and despite the fact that a frequent participant in these conversations, former Raiders head coach John Gruden immediately resigned when even a tiny sample of them was leaked to the media. End quote. Yeah, who leaked those emails to the media? That remains a mystery. But more than a few people believe that Team Danny leaked those emails to the media. We do not know that, though, with certainty. But man, I love it. The extent to which Danny is all over Brucifer in this letter. I mean, that really is something, okay? Never mind the fact that it's all about, oh, it's Bruce Allen's fault that the workplace culture was so bad for so long. Yeah, it's Bruce's fault. That is like Dan Snyder Management 101. It's never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. Let me blame Bruce Allen, who, of course, has no halo over his head. Let's make that clear. But remember, Bruce Allen was hired by Dan Snyder as executive vice president slash general manager in December 2009. Dan bought the team in May 1999. What about the 10 years before old Brucey came on board in the Redskins organization? What about the allegations from incidents that happened prior to December 2009? Like, there is so much wrong with this, oh, it's all on Bruce Allen. Oh, it was all Bruce's fault. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to make it sound like Bruce Allen is some holier-than-thou human being, okay? But truth is truth, okay? And anyone with a brain can understand that the toxic workplace environment that existed with our football team uh, may have been heightened by Bruce Allen. That certainly is possible. But that toxic workplace environment was not started by Bruce Allen. You know, the culture is actually damn good. Yes, Bruce, thank you. Uh, and ultimately, the toxic workplace environment falls on the owner of the team, Dan Snyder. Anyway, hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode every weekday, Monday through Friday, out oh so early each morning. Uh, well, while we on Wednesday night had the commander's feel bad item that was that letter that came out via multiple reports, we during the day on Wednesday had the commander's feel good item that was running back Brian Robinson Jr. The commanders on Wednesday morning officially designated Robinson to return to practice, and he on Wednesday practiced just a little more than a month since he was shot multiple times in an incident in Washington, D.C. on August 28th. Next segment, I will go in-depth 
on Brian Robinson Jr. being back officially practicing. You'll hear quite a bit from Robinson and from Commander's head coach Ron Rivera, including how likely it is that Robinson will play for the Commanders in their game against the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. What a story this Brian Robinson Jr. comeback story is. Uh, Also, I'll take it through the Commander's first injury report of the week, and I'll talk a whole lot about the Commander's offense off comments from Ron and quarterback Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon. Carson talked at length about his and the offense's struggles over the last two games, the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 3 and the 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys in week four, I'll get into the latest on the offensive line too, uh, including help at center being on the way, perhaps as soon as this Sunday. We'll see. Uh, also on the show, the ends of the Nationals and Orioles 2022 seasons. Uh, for the Nats, a hideous 9-2 rain-delayed loss at the National League's number one wildcard team, the New York Mets, on Wednesday night. I will lay out just how bad this Nats season ended up being. For the O's, we had a doubleheader split with the American League's number one wildcard team, the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Wednesday. I'll play for you key comments from Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias at an end-of-season press conference on Wednesday morning. The future is bright for the birds. If you are an O's fan, the time to be fired up is now. Ain't that right, Joe Angel? And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe. Thank you. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Wendell Hicks on the Commanders, writes Wendell. Al, I hope that all is well, despite our lackluster Commanders. I am usually willing to give this team time to get straight, but the only question that came to my head on Sunday was if anyone has asked C.J. Stroud if there is another number that he will take other than seven. This season just doesn't look like it will work, and I would hope that the Commanders would blow the whole thing up and start over. Keep fighting the good fight. Uh, Thank you for the email, Wendell. Yeah, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, he looks quite good. Although, man, it is becoming difficult to ignore the fact that so many Ohio State quarterbacks don't work out as NFL quarterbacks. Uh, Obviously, the man to whom Wendell referred, former Washington quarterback Dwayne Haskins, who, yes, wore Joe Theismann's number seven, but how about Justin Fields with the Chicago Bears right now? And I know that his struggles have been about much more than just him, but Fields through week four, number 31 out of 32 qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR for the 2022 regular season. Uh, Carson Wentz, by the way, 25th. Email from Mike on Rod Rivera, writes Mike, Thank you, as always, for making my day with the best show in town. Always so much fun. Well, thank you, Mike. Continues, Mike. Rivera sounds more like a buffoon with every interview. He is a disaster as a coach and an even bigger disaster as a personnel guy. It takes time, Rivera says. We know this, but now three years in, the team is worse than ever. The hand-picked quarterback who he assured us the team had coveted is worse than the guy who played last year. Free agents are a disaster. William Jackson, the third, can't play. You 
you blew up the interior of the offensive line to sign two more washed-up Carolina discards. And don't even get me started on the Jamin Davis pick. Receivers and running backs, probably a good bit better, to be fair, and I will grant them that, but it doesn't matter with the overall dumpster fire otherwise raging all around. And it's all on Rivera, either bad coach or bad GM. One or the other doesn't he know this. Thank you for the email, Mike. Uh, I think that Ron Rivera does know this, i.e. that all of this is on him. I'm not sure that he wants to admit to this. You know, regarding the guards, the signing of unrestricted free agents Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner, the two Carolina Panthers discards, uh, right now those signings do not look good, no doubt. I do not fault the team for allowing right guard Brandon Sheriff to leave via free agency. We talked about his situation so much. He misses too many games to me to get paid the big money that he ended up getting from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and good for him for getting paid, but I did not want my team giving him that money. I have wondered, though, about the left guard for Washington last season, Eric Flowers. He did a nice job as Washington's starting left guard last season. The Commanders this past March 16th, hours before the start of the NFL's new league year at 4 p.m. Eastern, released Eric Flowers, presumably in a cost-cutting move that, to me, didn't have to happen if, in fact, the move was a cost-cutting move. But Eric Flowers does remain an unrestricted free agent. He is not signed with any team. And you wonder if maybe the Eric Flowers situation is one of those situations in which the commanders know something and the rest of the NFL now knows that something. And the something is something that makes you not want to sign them. Now, what that something might be, I do not know. I'm purely speculating. And there's no doubt, even if you didn't want Eric Flowers on the team anymore, you certainly could have done better than Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner. I totally get that. Uh, But with Eric Flowers, I mean, it is odd, right, that he remains out there as an unrestricted free agent. You always have to wonder about a player when he remains unsigned for as long as Flowers has remained unsigned. Well, something that you do not have to wonder about is whether now is a good time to buy a home. The answer is yes. And I know that that may sound counterintuitive, but it actually makes sense. Increases in mortgage rates are being offset big time by decreases in housing prices caused by higher inventory, which has been caused by the increases in mortgage rates. Oh, the irony. And so if you have been wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, now actually is a great time to buy a home in the D.C. area. And so get with real estate agent Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt understands the Washington, D.C. area real estate market. He is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life, whether you are a first-time buyer looking for guidance or you have a young family looking for a bigger home or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize. Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He's a great guy. He will listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work. Smart, attention to detail, creative Put Kellen Hunt to work for you. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing right now, and he wants to help. 
So visit CloseItWithKel.com. That's CloseItWithKel, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kel and Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. See what Kel and Hunt can do for you. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. If you would like to sponsor the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod, if you would like to put the power of the pod to work for you and reach thousands of people every episode, hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. The one and three commanders on Wednesday began practicing for their game against the two and two Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at one. The number one item from Wednesday's commanders practice by far was running back Brian Robinson Jr. officially practicing. The commanders on Wednesday morning officially designated Robinson to return to practice. The mechanics here are a little tricky. Robinson is on what is called the reserve non-football injury or illness list, aka the NFI list. He was placed on that on September 1st off, of course, having been shot in a leg and hip in an incident in Washington, D.C. on August 28th. Uh, by the way, the investigation into that incident does continue. Uh, still no arrests. But what officially happened on Wednesday morning was that the commander started a 21-day window within which the team can activate Robinson off the NFI list and add him to the 53-man active roster. Uh, Robinson still technically is on that NFI list. He was not listed on the commander's injury report for Wednesday because he isn't officially on the 53-man active roster. But Brian Robinson Jr. on Wednesday practiced with the commanders, and the possibility of him playing for the commanders against the Titans at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon very much exists. Uh, This whole situation really is something. This guy was shot multiple times on August 28th, He was back officially practicing with the commanders on October 5th. And keep in mind the specifics of the incident in which Robinson got shot. There was a scuffle between Robinson and the two suspects in which Robinson wrestled a firearm away from one suspect before the other suspect shot Robinson in a leg and hip. So Robinson took on the two guys in a two-on-one fight actually wrestled a gun away from one of the guys before the other guy shot Robinson. I mean, think about that and consider the timeline. The incident happened on August 28th. He was released from the hospital the next day, August 29th, and he showed up at the commander's team facility in Ashburn, Virginia on August 30th, just two days after being shot. I mean, this guy is not human. He's like a cyborg. He's like RoboCop. He's not Brian Robinson. He's Brian Robocop. Uh, Well, Robo Robinson, uh, he did a post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon. Here he was on his first official practice back of being shot. Oh, that was beautiful. You know, know, just getting back on the field, having fun, you know, being around my coaches and team again. You know, it was just a beautiful day for me, honestly. Yeah, beautiful felt like a great way of framing things. What has this entire process been like for Brian Robinson Jr.? Just another line of adversity, you know, you know, struck against me, you know, while I was, you know, you know, faced against a battle with myself, you know, and 
you know, just had to continue to work, you know, and just, you know, just do better for myself, honestly. It's been a, a up and down process, you know, but I'm thankful for all the people I got around me to help me, you know, kind of get back on my feet. And who exactly have been those people who have helped Brian Robinson Jr. get back on his feet? You know, everybody around this organization, you know, the, the Snyders, Coach Rivera, Coach Jordan, you know, all the players in that locker room, you know, they, you know, they welcome me with open, open arms and, you know, uh, I'm thankful for them. Okay. Uh, head coach Rod Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon was asked a bunch about Brian Robinson Jr. This was Ron on Robinson being back officially practicing. It was good to have him out there, and he looks solid. I mean, he's got a little bit of ways to go. You know, conditioning will be a question, that's for sure. Um, but just watching him, I mean, his retention, his recall looked pretty good. And, um, you know, we did some of the things that, uh, you know, he does well. He was out there doing them. So it looked good. It was all promising. All right, so Ron Rivera on Brian Robinson Jr. on Wednesday, quote, it was all promising, end quote. Now, the Commanders game against the Titans this Sunday afternoon marks the first of two games for the Commanders in a five-day stretch. Uh, Sunday afternoon, home to the Titans at 1, then the following Thursday night at the Chicago Bears at 8.15. Ron on Wednesday afternoon was asked if the condensed schedule might play a role in whether Robinson plays this Sunday afternoon. Here was Ron's answer. Yes, it will. The biggest thing is we'll have to take a look at how he, ha- how he handled today, tomorrow morning. You know, come in, see where he is, see how he feels. You know, that's always a good indicator when a guy really gets his first real workout is how he's reacting the next day. Um, And then as we get into it and if he, you know, practices again like he did today, then we'll see if there's any drop-off. You know, we have have the GPS tracking that will be able to give us his speeds just to see where they are. And that's something that we'll most certainly take a look at because I know the trainers and the uh, strength strength conditioning staff will be looking at those. You know, one of the more interesting parts of Wednesday's commander's practice was Ron Rivera locking in on Brian Robinson Jr. during a drill designed for a running back to hold on to a football and not fumble. What was going through Ron's mind in watching Robinson during that drill? Well, I was just trying to see if there's, you know, any difference or, or if, if, if he's favoring anything or if he's concerned about something. I mean, that's all part of it. Sometimes guys come back from injuries and you can see that there's a little hesitance. And, you know, if, if we have any hopes of him playing soon, you can't have that hesitance. And, and it's funny because um, he started kind of gradually. Um, I didn't notice anything different, but it's just kind of a gradual buildup. And the more and more he did, the more and more confident I think he got in it. And then there were a couple of running plays today where there was a couple of cuts where he had to stick that leg in the ground and really come off of it, and he did, and he did. And that's one of the things that when we watched the tape today, uh, us as coaches and I know the training staff will be looking for anything that, that might be something that would be concerning, and we'll see how he goes through those uh, those reps that he got. I think in all total, I want to say of the, of the reps we had, I think he probably got about eight, maybe ten, somewhere in there. Um, he did pop in and take a couple of reps for the show team, which um, <laughs> we had to tell him no, no, no. You know, but he, he you know, you, you got to keep an eye on him because he wants. He, he he was having a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, something that has come up is the mental state of Brian Robinson Jr. Obviously, when you go through something like getting shot, uh, there's the physical trauma, and then there's potentially mental trauma. Not always, but. There certainly can be. Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on how Brian Robinson Jr. is doing mentally. 
Uh, I think his, his mental frame of mind is really good. I do. I, I think he, you know, one thing we talked about is, you know, he talked about how fortunate he was, and he understands that he gets that. And, and I think it's kind of given him a little bit more insight as to, you know what, every moment is precious. And um, being back out here on the field today, you could see the joy in which he was he was running around. I mean, he really um, he wanted to do more. We had to, we had to slow him down a little bit, um, you know, because uh, what the doc what, what what the doctors had prescribed and, and trainers was go out, um, do a workout, do a couple of series on the side with the um, with the uh, with the strength conditioning staff and trainers, and then when he finished up, then they would allow him to come over and, and work a little bit. He finished up in, in great great shape, so he came over. Um, they allowed us to, to put him in a, a couple of smattering of plays on each period. He took those plays, looked pretty good at it, and as I said, because he did so much work, we'll see how he is tomorrow. But I think right now, I think he's in a good place, and, um, and for us as a football team, it's good to see him back out there. Yes, it is. You know, one of the things that you really got a sense of in listening to Brian Robinson Jr. on Wednesday afternoon was his passion for football. How much the game means to him. Here was Robinson on Wednesday afternoon on his mindset right now. Uh, my mindset, you know, is no different than it used. It's always been, you know, I've always, you know, been proud for this game and, you know, just how I like to attack the field when I'm playing. So uh, my mindset not going to change, you know. I expect to you know, dominate as soon as I come back on the field. You know, uh, I don't really want to get too much into uh, what's in the past. You know, I just plan on moving forward, you know, and looking for what's ahead of us, you know, and try to help, you know, this team, you know, make some progress. Well, I tell you, if Brian Robinson Jr. plays this Sunday afternoon against the Titans, and that is an if, but if he does play against the Titans, his first touch is going to be some moment. Uh, Whether the touch is a carry or a reception, the ovation for him at FedEx Field for that first touch, should he play this Sunday afternoon, is going to be a great moment, you know, at least from those Commanders fans who are in attendance. I mean, who knows what the crowd will be like. Uh, Now, if Brian Robinson Jr. plays against the Titans this Sunday afternoon, what then for fellow running back Antonio Gibson? Remember, Robinson, during the preseason, supplanted Gibson as the Commanders' number one running back. Uh, Gibson, over the Commanders' first four regular season games, has done some good things, uh, although his numbers are very mixed. Uh, On the one hand, Gibson, through week four, is number 14 among 39 qualified NFL running backs in success rate for football outsiders. On the other hand, Gibson, through week four, is number 37 out of 39 qualified NFL running backs in rushing DVOA. For football outsiders. It's funny, success rate and DVOA are two measures of per play efficiency. In one measure, Gibson has been pretty good. In the other measure, Gibson has been woeful. Uh, Gibson's yards per carry for the 2022 regular season is just 3.3. But this was Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on what Brian Robinson Jr.'s return is meaning for Antonio Gibson. Well, I think that's really the big thing about it is to complement each other. You know, we know we know Brian's strengths in, in terms of his running style and, and, and the type of game he brings. Uh, we know what Antonio's strengths are, and, and I think also not just his running, but and you, saw, you guys have seen it now, is him in space catching the ball. You know, um, a guy that size being with that kind of receiving ability, route running ability presents a challenge for a linebacker matchup, maybe even a safety matchup. And so... There is an opportunity to have some compliments uh, to it as far as, you know, when one guy's in and then the other guy rotates in, 
Um, then you throw in a J.D. McKissick into that mix, and you, you've got a good group of, of, of backs that rotate through, and you try to find you know the, the matchups that you can exploit. Yeah, a healthy Brian Robinson Jr., along with Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jonathan Williams, to me, would give the commanders, in theory anyway, one of the best running back groups that the team has had in years. I mean, that is a really nice running back group, potentially. Robinson, Gibson, McKissick, and Williams. Uh, Great to see things going well for Brian Robinson Jr. off what happened to him. Well, we always hope that things are going well in your life, but if you have been victimized by the negligence of someone else, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly one million. Uh, This to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, You may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. More now on the one and three commanders of them on Wednesday, beginning their practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game against the two and two Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field at one. Uh, there were nine commanders players on Wednesday's injury report. Five of the players were defensive players. Four of the players were offensive players. The five defensive players, safety Percy Butler did not practice on Wednesday due to a quadriceps ailment. Linebacker Milo Eifler did not practice on Wednesday Due to a hamstring issue, linebacker David Mayo was a limited participant in practice on Wednesday due to a hamstring issue. And then corner William Jackson III and interior defensive lineman Daniel Wise were on the injury report, but they were listed as having been full participants in practice on Wednesday. Jackson has been dealing with a back issue. Wise has been dealing with a high ankle sprain, but each guy played in the commander's last game, the 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys this past Sunday afternoon, although uh, Jackson did not play well, uh, including having three accepted penalties. The four commanders offensive players who were on Wednesday's injury report were more concerning than the five defensive players who were on the report. Receiver Jahan Dodson did not practice on Wednesday due to this hamstring injury 
that he suffered in the loss at the Cowboys. Receiver Curtis Samuel did not practice on Wednesday, although he was listed as not having practiced due to illness. Right tackle Samuel Cosme did not practice on Wednesday due to a finger injury. Remember, uh, we on Tuesday afternoon had multiple reports that Cosme underwent thumb surgery on Tuesday. Uh, Timetable for a return to be determined. Head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon confirmed that Cosme underwent hand surgery and that his timetable for a return is TBD. And then left tackle Charles Leno Jr., he on Wednesday was a limited participant in practice uh, due to this shoulder ailment with which he has been dealing. So it certainly appears as if at least Jahan Dodson and Samuel Cosme will be out for this game at the Titans on Sunday afternoon. Meantime, running back Brian Robinson Jr. wasn't the only Commanders player whose 21-day practice window was started on Wednesday. Center Tyler Larson's 21-day practice window has begun. Uh, He has been on the reserve physically unable to perform list, aka the pup list. Uh, He was placed on that on August 23rd due to a torn Achilles that he suffered in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field last December 12th. But his practice window has started and he could come off the pup list this week and play against the Titans this Sunday afternoon. Uh, Larson, like Robinson, still isn't technically on the commander's 53-man active roster. Poor Tyler Larson, by the way. All of the attention on Wednesday was on Brian Robinson Jr. being back officially practicing. There were zero questions during the post-practice press conferences about Larson, uh, his return, or anything like that. Uh, Oh, well, such is life when you're Tyler Larson, I guess. Uh, Larson, last season, was Washington's number two center. You wonder if he might be the team's starting center this Sunday afternoon against the Titans. Uh, Nick Martin was the commander's starting center in the loss at the Cowboys this past Sunday afternoon. The commander signed Martin as an unrestricted free agent just a few weeks ago, September 20th. Uh, The commanders, over their four regular season games, have started three different centers, Chase Roulier, Wes Schweitzer, and Nick Martin. Uh, Roulier has been on the reserve injured list since September 20th due to a reported right knee injury for which he was to undergo surgery. Schweitzer is on the reserve injured list. The commanders placed him on that this past Saturday due to a concussion. Uh, By the way, here was Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon on what's going on with Wes Schweitzer. Yeah, he's he's in the concussion protocol and it, you know, it's one of those that uh, we have to be very, very careful with. Um, You know, there's a little bit of concern just because of, um, you know, how he's he's kind of reacted. So we'll go from there. All right. So that does not sound good for Wes Schweitzer. Certainly wish him the best. Uh, While we're talking commander's offensive line, Ron Rivera at his uh, rather eventful day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon, quote, I understand how important it is to win. Okay. But I got to be realistic with what we have and what we're going to do end quote. Uh, That was part of Ron seemingly altering his message about this season needing to be a step forward season for the team. We've talked about that on the podcast this week. Well, Ron on Wednesday afternoon was asked to clarify what he meant when he said that he needs to be realistic about what the team has. Here was Ron's answer. Well, what I basically mean is we're going to play who we have. You know, everybody, you know, we're, we're, to our third center right now. So we're going to play with our third center. We're going to have to play with other players at tackle, other players at guard. Um, that's what I mean. I know who we have out there. Okay, look, the injuries for the commanders on the offensive line are very real and are very much a problem. I do wish, though, that Ron Rivera would let people in the media 
and let fans of the team bring up the injuries instead of he himself bringing up the injuries. And, you know, he's doing that a good bit these days. And that comes off as excuse making, even though the injuries are legit, no question. But I'm always a fan of head coaches who make it clear that there are no excuses for losing. I think that that's an important mindset to have because once you start having excuses for losing, then you excuse the losing. Let people outside the organization make the excuses, okay? And there may well be very legitimate excuses, but let those outside the organization make the excuses. I never think it's a great look when the head coach or when the players make the excuses themselves. Now, last season, Washington's offensive line was ravaged by injury, and yet the line ended up performing really well. Uh, Washington finished the 2021 regular season number nine in the NFL in team pass block win rate per ESPN at 63%, and number one in the NFL in team run block win rate per ESPN at 75%. However, so far this season, The commander's offensive line is struggling. Uh, The commander's through week four, number 31 out of 32 NFL teams at ESPN's team pass block win rate for the 2022 regular season at 46%. And number 30 out of 32 NFL teams at ESPN's team run block win rate for the 2022 regular season at 68%. The commanders over their last three games have allowed 16 sacks and 39 quarterback hits. Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on why last season Washington's offensive line did well despite a number of injuries, but so far this season, the team's offensive line is reeling in the midst of injuries. Well, I think the biggest difference more than anything else is that these injuries didn't come about until later in the year. You know, By that time, this group had played together for a number of games before we, we lost our first guy um, for a while, and, and I think that's, that's a big part of it. Because now, if, if you get an opportunity and these guys that are in backup roles, key backup roles, they've been practicing, they're getting more and more comfortable with what we do, they're, they're in shape, they're ready to play. Um, and then if there's an injury week seven, you know, you feel comfortable having that guy rotate in and become part of what they're doing. And I think that's a big part of why, you know, this year having it happen as early as it has happened has really kind of changed the scope of things because a lot of these guys haven't been working together. They are not used to each other. There's a lot of little nuances that get developed over time. And this group as a whole hasn't had a lot of time together as opposed to last year's group. Well, as I talked about on Wednesday's show, episode 414, it's hard to see the commander's offense being better this season without the offensive line being better. Somehow, some way, the commanders have got to figure out the offensive line. Offensive line coach John Matsko uh, may need to work his greatest miracle yet, man, but the line cannot continue to play as poorly as the line has been playing. What's also true is that quarterback Carson Wentz needs to play better. He needs to play a lot better. His last two games have been terrible. Week three, the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field. Carson for the game had a total QBR per ESPN of just 13.6. Total QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. And then week four, the 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys. Carson for that game, a total QBR per ESPN of just 23.2. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon did a post-practice press conference. Here he was with his takeaways from his performances over the Commanders' last two games. 
Yeah, I mean, keep getting better. That's the, the biggest thing is there, there's plays out there um, that I could have made and um, definitely missed some and some different things I could do to, to help this team and, and keep drives going and all these things. And, um, yeah, just trying to keep keep getting better, keep being more consistent and find ways to stay on the field and convert some third downs and different things like that. Um, yeah, wasn't wasn't my best, but, uh, you know, that's the beauty of this league is uh, turn the page real quick and you're on to the next. And the next game is this game against the Titans at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. The Titans through Week 4, per Football Outsiders DVOA metric, have the following rankings for the 2022 regular season. Number 21 in total defense, number 26 in pass defense, number 8 in run defense. Uh, The Commanders through Week 4, per DVOA, have the following rankings for the 2022 regular season. Number 28 in total offense, number 27 in pass offense, number 27 in rushing offense. Uh, Now, Carson Wentz, as the Indianapolis Colts starting quarterback last season, did face the Titans twice. Uh, He was not good in either game. Uh, The Colts lost both of the games. Carson, over those games, completed just 46 of his 88 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of just 52.27. And Carson, over those games, over his 88 pass attempts, threw for just 425 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 4.83. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon on the Titans defense. Yeah, it's a good team. It's a good team. Um, Obviously, uh, very good defense. They're coached well. They fly around. They they make a lot of plays. Their front, um, like you mentioned, is is very talented. And, um, you know, we feel we've gone up against some some really good fronts lately. So uh, I'm confident the guys will be ready for that. But, no, it's it's a very good team, Uh, very disciplined on that side of the ball with kind of their zone drops and how how they want to be. Um, on the right, in the right spots. And so uh, for us, it's just about execution. It's about execution, playing faster than they are um, and, and being able to be efficient. And so uh, I look forward to that matchup. But again, it's a great defense. They do some really good things. Like you said, I saw them twice last year. It's, it's the same defense, same coordinator, same style. Um, so I know we, we got a tall task, but it'll be fun. I'm excited for it. A specific Titans defensive player to be mindful of is safety Kevin Byard. Uh, he intercepted Carson Wentz last season. Byard this past July was ranked as the number 35 overall player in the NFL by Pro Football Focus. Uh, Byard for the 2021 regular season had a career best coverage grade per PFF of 90.9. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Byard isn't off to a great start this season, but he can play and he has gotten to Carson. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon on Kevin Byard. Yeah, Kevin Byer, just he's a heck of a player. Um, he makes things difficult. Um, Got to always know where he's at, and, you know, he really seems like the leader of the defense over there, um, at least as far as playmaking in the secondary. And, you know, he does a, he does a really good job. And I you know, competed against him twice last year. Uh, he got me He got me a couple times, and so uh, I look forward to seeing him and competing against him. But, uh, you know, he's a guy you got to be aware of, and, and he kind of um, gets that defense in the right position. And, um, you know, he does a really good job. So it'll be a, it'll be a fun uh, fun challenge. Well, hopefully, we'll end up looking back on the challenge as having been fun. Uh, What about where Carson Wentz is at with offensive coordinator Scott Turner? This was Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on where Carson is at in his comfort in the offense. Well, I think he's still working through it. Um, You know, we got to remember he was in the same style offense, you know, for two different teams. 
And so now it's, you know, learning a little bit different philosophy, having a little bit different understanding as to, you know, why this type of play call, why this type of formation. And um, I think as he gets more and more comfortable, more and more in sync with, with what Scott's thinking, what the offensive coaches are thinking, I think you'll see, you know, his comfort level start to rise more and more. You know, it's impossible for us to know truly how much, if at all, Carson Wentz's lack of familiarity with Scott Turner's offense has to do with Carson's recent poor play. But I would point out Carson in the 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in week one looked plenty comfortable in the offense. And Carson in the second half of the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in week two looked plenty comfortable in the offense. I think that a lot of the recent struggles have to do with Carson just not playing well and his offensive line not playing well and Scott not scheming things well enough and calling plays well enough. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon on his comfort in Scott Turner's offense. Yeah, as far as uh, that goes, I feel really good. Feel really good uh, with Coach Turner, and just you know, every week game planning is different. Um, in the sense of you know, it's a different defense, different, different mentality, different scheme. You know, we got to be ready for someone new every week. So, uh, just it's been good, kind of the back and forth, and just how we how we develop game plans and how we want to attack defenses. Um, and you know, for us as as players, we just got to execute better. Um, but I, I do feel good um, from that side of things with the game planning and feeling ready to go uh, every single week. You know, in listening to these Carson Wentz answers and just in listening to him at his press conferences in general, there definitely is a calm, Jim Zorn-like, stay medium approach that Carson employs, right? You remember former Redskins head coach Jim Zorn, his stay medium mantra? Uh, Carson stays medium. He has been saying all of the right things and has consistently taken ownership of his mistakes, but he also is very calm and like matter of fact with his answers. And I think that those things are good things. Here was Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon on the importance of staying even keeled. And you will hear a unique interruption during his answer. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, it, there's frustrating moments in a the game. There's frustrating moments in a the season. There's frustrating moments when you come in on, on Monday and see plays you could have made. Um, <laughs> we, got, we, got some, we got some jazz, jazz music. Uh, <laughs> But uh, no, there, there's definitely frustrating moments. Um, but you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's you got to go forward. You got to go forward. You got to make the next play, and um, I think that's what good teams need to be able to do. Because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have bad plays. Um, but you got to remain confident in yourself. Remain confident for the guys around you, and have confidence in the guys around you if you know they make a mistake or this and that and the other. Um, and so that's how I think you you progress and that's how you get better and go forward and um, by no means am I perfect in that regard I, I try to stay even keel in the highs and the lows but uh, there are moments of frustration and this that and the other that you gotta that you gotta wade through and, and try to be the same going forward all right so Carson Wentz during that answer interrupted by some jazz uh, maybe some Kenny G and I do not mean Kenny Galladay uh, now staying even keeled staying medium is nice but of course you also want to operate with urgency and with recognition of the need to win, especially with the Commanders in the midst of a three-game losing streak and now being one and three with an NFL worst point differential of minus 34. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon on the need for the Commanders to win this game against the Titans this Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
obviously we know the, the skid, so to speak, that we've been on, and, and we've got to find a way to win. And, um, you know, patience only, only lasts so long. You've got to find ways to convert, stay on the field, score touchdowns, you know, score points, win, win some ball games. And, um, but there's no sense of panic. There's no sense of uh, chaos around here. You know, it's, uh, we're going into week five. You know, we, we know kind of how we played, and it wasn't up to our standards. But at the same time, um, I know everybody in that locker room has a ton of confidence. We've seen spurts of what we're capable of, and for us it's just now can we go be consistent and do it. And um, we, we know the sense of urgency that, that there is, but there's no panic by any means. Yeah, panic is for us as fans. Uh, panic is a no-no for players. But there's no doubt the commander's passing game in particular has been horrendous over the last two games. Uh, there's a lot that has got into that, including, remember, all of the penalties in the loss at the Cowboys this past Sunday afternoon. The commanders in that game, 11 accepted penalties for 136 yards. Seven of the 11 accepted penalties were offensive penalties, five offensive line penalties, and two Carson Wentz intentional grounding penalties. Carson on Wednesday afternoon on some of the things missing from the commander's offense right now. Yeah, I think some of the bigger things is just the consistency from from all of us and the consistency in execution. And, you know, I would be the first to say I, I can and will be better in that regard as well. Um, this being discipline, um, you know, some of the mistakes, some of the mental errors, some of the things um, that definitely cost us last game, I think. I think a lot of those things probably overshadowed the things we were doing because all of a sudden you're in second and 15 and it's, it's hard against a good defense to, to live in that situation or third and long. Um, it's hard. And so I think some of those just simple things of just being consistent in, in our execution but also just being disciplined um, can make a lot of those things kind of over. They, they can overshadow a lot of things. So if we can clean those things up, I think we can, we'll be in a good place. You know, what's quite clear is that the commanders know what their problems in these three consecutive losses have been. What's concerning is that the team hasn't fixed the problems, at least not yet. Uh, The problems are not a mystery, but fixing the problems may be an impossibility. We shall see. This team so needs a win in this game against the Titans this Sunday afternoon. Well, there certainly were not many wins for the Nationals in their now-concluded 2022 regular season. Up next, I'll put a cap on the Nats' woeful 2022 season that on Wednesday night ended in a very fitting way. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Well, it is over. It is done. Thankfully, mercifully, the Nationals' 2022 season has come to an end. Uh, one of the worst seasons that any Washington, D.C.-based pro sports franchise has ever endured is over. The very last game to conclude in Major League Baseball's 2022 regular season was the Nats' 9-2 rain-delayed loss at the National League's number one wildcard team, the New York Mets, on Wednesday night. Uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez has a saying for when his players fight and compete. Uh, That saying is, the boys battled. Uh, Well, the boys did not battle on Wednesday night, nor did the boys battle overall in this series. Uh, The boys tapped out in this series. Uh, The Nats, in what ended up being a season-ending three-game sweep at the Mets, got outscored 21-4. The Nats ended their season on a five-game losing streak. The Nats ended the 2022 regular season with the worst record in the majors, 55 and 107, and the worst run differential in the majors, minus 252. The Nats also ended the 2022 regular season with the following record in games against National League East teams, 17 and 59. Yes, 17 and and 59. The Nats this season got demolished within their division. Uh, Specific to this 9-2 loss at the Mets on Wednesday evening, what an awful ending for starting pitcher Eric Fetty's season. Fetty in this game, nine runs in two and a third innings. Yeah, nine runs in two and a third innings. Fetty finished the 2022 regular season with an ERA of 5 81. This is a guy who, through nine starts, had an ERA of 355. But for a second consecutive season, Eric Fetty's season cratered as the season went on. The Nats in the 2022 regular season had three pitchers each make at least 27 starts. Each of those pitchers had an ERA over five. Patrick Corbin, 31 starts, ERA of 631. Josiah Gray, 28 starts, ERA of 502. Eric Fetty, 27 starts, ERA of 581. The Nats for the 2022 regular season, dead last in the majors in starting pitching ERA at 597. Uh, the days of Max Scherzer and peak Steven Strasburg and peak Patrick Corbin and Gio Gonzalez and Tanner Rourke and Doug Fister, and Jordan Zimmerman, and on and on we can go. Uh, Those days feel like so long ago right now. The Nats, for the 2022 regular season, dead last in the majors in starting pitching ERA at 597. In addition, by the way, to being dead last in the majors in Fangraph's all-encompassing base running stat, base running runs, dead last in the National League in home runs, and next to last in the majors, in defensive runs saved. And oh yeah, uh, the Nats during the season traded away their best player, a generational talent in right fielder Juan Soto. Although hopefully that trade will ultimately yield a number of good players for the Nats. We'll see. But this was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad season for the Nats. There's no doubt about that. If you are a Nats fan, uh, it was rough. It was really rough. And, you know, all you can hope for is that things will get better, and they will get better. The Nats are not going to be like this forever. The Nats are going to be a very good team again, and hopefully that time 
is soon. You know what's funny about the Nats 2022 season? The Nats actually finished the 2022 regular season with the number 15 relief pitching ERA in the majors, 384. The Nats bullpen this season ended up being one of the team's better bullpens since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason. Think about all of the years in which the Nats were good, but had shaky, if not bad, bullpens. Uh, 2017 and 2019, the World Series championship season certainly come to mind. But in this season, what was an overall atrocious season for the Nats, this perpetual weakness, the bullpen, actually ended up being a strength. I mean, take, for example, reliever Erasmo Ramirez. Uh, He, on Wednesday evening, two scoreless innings with three strikeouts. Ramirez finished the 2022 regular season with an ERA of 292 over 86 and a third innings. That is a tremendous season for a reliever, both in terms of run prevention and volume. Uh, But yeah, when Erasmo Ramirez is one of the biggest bright spots to your season, well, that's a problem. Uh, All due respect to Erasmo. And so now we wait. Uh, There is no bigger issue for the Nats right now than their ownership uncertainty. Are they going to get sold this offseason? Hopefully the answer is yes, but we don't know. To say nothing of not knowing what the next ownership will be like. A lot of uncertainty with the Nats. No uncertainty is more significant than this ownership uncertainty. But something that is certain is that the Nats' nightmare of a 2022 season is done. The Orioles, uh, they concluded their 2022 regular season with a doubleheader split with the American League's number one wildcard team, the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Wednesday. Game one, a 5-4 Orioles win in which the O's overcame a 4-0 sixth inning deficit. So more Orioles magic. Uh, Second baseman Terran Vavra, a two-out first pitch three-run homer in the bottom of the eighth for a 5-4 Orioles lead. His first career Major League regular season home run. And then game two, a 5-1 Orioles loss. So the O's finished with a record of 83-79. and First winning regular season for the team. First non-losing regular season for the team since 2016. It is impossible if you are an Orioles fan not to love what happened this season. The O's in the 2021 regular season, a major league worst tying 52 and 110. So from 52 and 110 to 83 and 79, a 31 win improvement. And most importantly, this was done on the backs of a number of younger players in potential slash likely building blocks. Uh, Catcher Adley Rutschman, infielder Gunnar Henderson, center fielder Cedric Mullins, outfielder Austin Hayes, outfielder Anthony Santander, shortstop Jorge Mateo, infielder Ramona Rios, first baseman Ryan Mountcastle, starting pitchers Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, Kyle Bradish, and yes, the former national Austin Voth. Uh, relievers Felix Batista, Cino Perez, Dylan Tate, and Keegan Aiken. There are others who I could mention, and certainly not everyone who I just mentioned is going to be great for the O's for years to come, but you get the idea, and there's still more to come. Uh, The Orioles' farm system remains loaded. Six of the top 87 prospects in baseball right now per MLB pipeline are Orioles prospects. Now, one of those guys is Gunnar Henderson, but still, the farm system remains loaded. 
The Orioles' total teardown and remaking of the franchise in an analytically inclined way is working. And all of the naysayers and all of the critics, especially those in the media, are being made to look laughably wrong. Now, the O's haven't won anything yet, so you can't just plant the flag of victory, but things are trending in a very good direction. By the way, uh, the O's wound up with the top two players in the American League in stolen bases for the 2022 regular season. Jorge Mateo led the AL in stolen bases with 35. Cedric Mullins was second with 34. Mateo and Mullins are the first pair of teammates to finish first and second in their league in stolen bases for a regular season since 1992 and the first in the American League since 1971. So what now for the O's? Uh, Well, there is their ownership mess. Uh, The Orioles ownership group has been led by Peter Angelos and his sons, John and Louis Angelos. Peter has been in failing health for years. Louis Angelos on June 9th filed a lawsuit against his brother, John Angelos, and their mother, Georgia Angelos, for control of the team. Uh, The situation is very messy. What will come of it, who knows? Uh, My hope is that what comes of it is the Orioles being sold. Uh, A belief by more than a few people for years has been that once Peter Angelos passes away, the Angelos family will sell the team. But who knows what to expect now with uh, the Angelos family feud going on. What every O's fan should feel very good about, though, is the team's baseball operations. A baseball operations led by Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias. Uh, Another key guy is this guy, Sig Meidel, who is the Vice President and Assistant General Manager in charge of analytics. But Elias has changed everything with this team and has changed everything for the better. He has said that the O's are going to spend some money this offseason and truly attempt to take that next step forward to being a championship team. We'll see what Elias is allowed to do in terms of spending. But if you are an O's fan, it's okay to be excited. Uh, We on Wednesday morning had an end-of-season joint press conference with Mike Elias and manager Brandon Hyde. Here was Elias on the Orioles' 2022 season. Looking at the entire organization, I I think that uh, we're very pleased with uh, everything that happened up and down the organization this year. Um, You know, first and foremost, uh, the the way that this team played and competed at the major league level is something that uh, I think rightfully our players and coaches deserve a lot of credit for. Um, You know, we're not where we want to be or need to be in our division. Um, It's very daunting looking at these other four, not only teams, but organizations in our division and picturing having to to beat them to make it to the playoffs next year but that's our goal and uh, we feel that uh, the organization is in a position now to realistically pursue that goal for next year and so that's going to be um, my focus this offseason and I think um, the, the, the focus of our squad when we meet in Sarasota next year so it's not going to be easy um, given who we have to compete against and who we have to play against. But I, as I said uh, in the summer, I feel like this team is officially in the fight in the American League East, and um, that's uh, a big achievement, I think, for us. It uh, doesn't mean that we're going to be complacent about it. We know that I think we had some relatively good health this season. We had some guys had good seasons. It's tough to repeat uh, in this league. Uh, players make adjustments against you. We've got a lot of young guys. 
Um, you know, we may have some individual steps back, but we plan to um, hopefully reinforce this group, uh, keep helping the players improve, and um, you know, hope that we can take another step forward next season um, and get into the playoffs that we narrowly missed out on on this year. So, Mike Elias, quote, this team is officially in the fight in the American League East, end quote. So good (laughs) to hear that if you are an O's fan, given how lengthy and painful the rebuild has been. I mean, the O's had been a really bad team since basically September 2017. Everything fell apart in September 2017. The O's went 4-19 over their final 23 games in the 2017 regular season. The O's in the 2018 regular season went a Major League Worst 47 and 115 with a Major League Worst run differential of minus 270 in what ended up being the final season of the Buck Walter dan Duquette era. And then came a new era for the O's. October 3rd, 2018, the O's announced that Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations Dan Duquette and Manager Buck Walter would not return to the organization in 2019. November 16th, 2018, the O's announced the hiring of Mike Elias as Executive Vice President and General Manager. November 21st, 2018, the O's announced the hiring of Sig Dell as Assistant General Manager in charge of analytics. And December 14th, 2018, the O's named Brandon Hyde as the 20th manager in franchise history. And the rebuild was on, and the rebuild took a while, no doubt. I mean, the O's in the 2019 regular season 54 and 108, second worst record in the majors. And the O's had the second worst run differential in the majors at minus 252. The O's in the 2020 regular season, the COVID shortened season, 25 and 35, went 13 and 27 after a 12 and 8 start. And the O's in the 2021 regular season, a major league worst tying 52 and 110 with a major league worst run differential of minus 297. Remember, the O's in August 2021 had a 19-game losing streak during which the O's were outscored 163-55. The 19-game losing streak was the second longest losing streak in Orioles history, trailing only the Orioles' 21-game losing streak that began their 1988 regular season. That losing streak is the record for longest losing streak by an American League team in the modern era since 1900. All of that has happened in recent years here for the O's. These bad seasons, 2018 through 2021. Well, 2022 was different. And I've had a mantra for years with this Orioles rebuild. Pain now, pleasure later. The pleasure has begun and the pleasure is poised to become even greater. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 416, will be a Football Friday extravaganza. In-depth preview of the 1-3 and three Commanders versus the 2-2 two and two Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. We on Thursday expect to hear from Commanders Offensive Coordinator Scott Turner and Defensive Coordinator Jack Del Rio via post-practice press conferences. So we'll have the words of Scott 
and Jack to talk about. I welcome on a special guest to talk Titans, longtime Titans insider Paul Kaharski of Outkick360 and paulkaharski.com. I'll conduct my rhyming keys for a commander's win over the Titans as well. Also on Friday's show, college football. Goldilocks for week six of the college football season. Previews and picks for Maryland, home to Purdue, Saturday at noon. Virginia Tech at Pitt, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Virginia home to Louisville, Saturday at noon. And Navy home to Tulsa, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. You know, the culture is actually damn good. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.